0: The following episode contains sensitive content. It is recommended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised.
1: We acknowledge the traditional owners on the land on which we meet and the land on which you are listening. We pay our respects to the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the country on which this podcast was recorded. This podcast was produced in a private residence in Marrickville, Sydney and is a completely independent production. We do not act on behalf of any organisation or sponsor. Our views are entirely our own. You're about to join a conversation between two women from Sydney, Australia, talking about losing their loved one to suicide. It is unscripted. This is ordinary people sharing their lived experience. This is Talking Lived. (coughs)
2: ...about gangsters?
0: Oh, well, where do I begin? I, I know I'm not angry with her so much. Uh, I don't feel angry with her at all. Uh, but I felt a lot of people did when she died. A lot of her friends did. They felt angry about what she'd done. And I can remember saying to them, look, you know, I understand everyone has different reactions and if you're mad... That's fine, but please don't bring it to me. I actually cannot deal with your feelings of anger about her. My feelings were just of such overwhelming grief. But you know, a couple of years on, I do sometimes feel mad at her. I feel angry like, oh, you've it's like a rejection. oh you've left me now I have to live the rest of my life without you and you've you've left me in this bad situation like, she had an obligation to stay with me, you know, which is a weird sort of uh, kind of thought anyway, but I do feel angry about that. I feel very angry that it feels like it was an unnecessary death because we could see it coming. You feel like if you can see something coming, even if you don't know exactly what that is, that you can have enough attention and focus and resources applied to it, that the worst thing doesn't happen. And that is not what happened. So the worst thing did happen. And I'm mad that the help that we tried to get, we couldn't get the help. That Gabby asked for help very explicitly and our help wasn't offered, but we didn't really know that the help, we thought the help they were offering us was the right help rather than them distracting us from what we thought we knew. So Gabby thought what she knew. I thought I knew what she needed, which was basically residential rehabilitation services where she had somebody to watch over her 24-7. I was at work. I wasn't free to spend all day watching her for weeks and months on end and plus it wouldn't really be my responsibility you know it's up to her she wanted to get her life together but she needed a safe place where she could be kept safe and we expected to be able to get that and we did not even though people didn't say we're not giving that to you They pushed further other solutions on, suggesting that that was the wrong solution and, you know, that she needed to go home and come back in the end of the week, which was, you know, six days later, come to their little support group and she would be fine then. And I'm thinking that is six days away. So we knew what she needed, but we got talked out of knowing what she needed. And I'm pretty angry about that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I can only kind of ditto everything that you've basically said because it's a lot of parallels to our experience in terms of how we were trying to have very honest conversations with the people that Jason were, was liaising with within the mental health system, and um, I I really felt the family voice was just quashed in all of that. It's like. That our mental health system, and I know this is probably a conversation for another time, but it's, it, we had a system 100 years ago, 200 years ago, where people were locked up very unfairly, because there was a lot of stigma around behaviours that didn't fit the norm. So people were characterised as being mentally ill and they were locked up. It, it is almost like this experience, there's been times where I've felt like the balance has tipped too far in favour or in the, in the weight of the individual, steering, navigating and managing a lot of their mental health stuff and not mental health system not really listening to the family um, because it is really important that people have control over their own care and that they're able to direct and navigate all of that stuff, but sometimes they're not the people that are best able or the most aware or have the most insight into what is actually going on with them and I would agree I am absolutely angry about that. It's weird anger for me in this whole experience it's not somewhere you want to stay I know that anger in long term isn't good for us it's certainly what you know your doctor your GP will say that to you but I can honestly say I was so filled with rage It wasn't even a directed rage. I wasn't angry at anyone in particular, really, in the days and weeks following. I was just, it was like I was boiling from the inside. Mm. Um, And it was actually the only thing that got me up and got me moving. I I really genuinely believe it had a role to play. I I wasn't punching taxi drivers and, you know, road raging down the street. Could have, but I didn't. But it definitely, it was like, it was the only thing I could tap into as an energy source to get me up and, and keep me going. Because there's stuff you've got to do. It, it, it is like boiling rage
0: is like an energy for action, isn't yep. it? It's like, okay, there's some desperate action, uh, action that desperately needs to be taken and the rage kind of can sort of it's activate f- that. fuel
2: somehow. I don't mm. know. I know mm. it's not good for us in mm. a long-term sense and, you mm. know. Mm. we see it as a toxic pollutant that's certainly the way you know medical professionals will talk to you about it but uh it it had a role to play
0: well I think you know the technical term that got dumped on you was a shit sandwich so you know it was the big proverbial shit sandwich and you know your life happened to be the meat in there with the rest of it you know that's just how it was and I mean I feel very angry that I couldn't get listened to that is probably the thing I'm most angry about I couldn't why I couldn't get people to listen to me. And after Gabby had died, I started to think, well, there's what's wrong with me that I couldn't communicate properly, that I couldn't uh, say things that why weren't people listening to me? Because I think I said in those three weeks, I went everywhere. I went to family. Well, but then we found out wasn't getting any of my messages and maybe that would have been different if he was um but my family I had said things like oh look we desperately I desperately need your help I need to do an intervention for Gabby because she's really in trouble and people talked me down from that oh that's not a good idea she's you're, and the the implication being you're just a little bit hysterical and you're being a little bit of a drama queen and, uh, you know, yeah, things might not be that bad bad but they're not that bad and you know the same thing with the psychiatrists like they wouldn't listen to me the counsellors it was like Gabby needs to stay here she needs a residential place oh and he talked me away from that and didn't listen and the psychiatrist I said you can't send her home she's in a very violent state well five minutes later there she is at the door and you come out of that I was begging and pleading so many people and you come out of that at the end of the time, and going, well, how, what is wrong with me? Why have I got a big don't listen sign on my head? Why couldn't you listen to me? Because I, you might have done your own assessment, like the psychiatrist unit at the hospital do their own assessment on suicide risk. But I could have told you if you had have listened to me. I could have put really, um, you know, red marks on the places where she was spinning you a yarn and, you know, you needed to understand that. I thought that's what the professionals would do, would be to understand, you know, you think, oh, they understand that people are talking around this and that they're going to connive and uh, deceive and, you know, the humiliation and the shame and the fear is so great of being cast as being a person that can't stay alive is so heavy that they are going to do everything to... Um, obfuscate that space and you're never going to know. So you need to maybe go to a loved, trusted family member and maybe their perspective is going to be a little bit more valuable than the person who is, is deeply, deeply in this um, place that they can't really show you what's going on. They show their loved ones what's going on. The loved ones know. So why couldn't you listen to us? it's more than three years since they've died now Tanya so do you feel angry
2: today or do you who do you feel angry with I still do definitely find myself in the angry place and I'm sometimes zapped there it though again the day will be unfolding in a very normal way. And the next thing you know, you'll be triggered by something. Maybe you'll come across, I don't know, a document, something. And it, you are zapped back to that place in time. And again, you just feel that red, red hot rage. What? And it's kind of tied to a why did this happen? It feels unfair that this happened to me. But the bigger part of it is losing the world has lost someone who was really, really special. He was a really, really special person, Jason, and that's gone. Yeah. That's gone.
0: It's a monumental loss. Yeah. He Mm. was
2: clever, he was funny, he he was incredibly special to me. And I know that his family loved him as well, you know. He's gone that's I can't ever not feel angry about that what what is better is that I'm not in that angry place all the time because it does make you feel sick when you're there all the time you know yeah um, so and I still don't it doesn't feel like a particularly focused anger. like I'm not angry I don't blame anyone for his death yes there are some issues around the mental health system that Yes, I probably have I could write a, you know a dissertation on that, but in a direct individual sense, I'm not angry at anyone and I'm not angry at him either. Mm. Sometimes I lapse into that and it's sort of like a why that you'd have an argument like you'd have an argument with your partner over something. that mental conversation sometimes tick tacks back and forth and I can almost hear him answering in my head where you're still having that conversation with him. But it's not, I don't, it's not a real anger. It's a different kind of anger, maybe. Yeah, well, I don't know
0: whether I'm still angry. I feel in some way, um, you know, maybe I'm in denial, that maybe I'm furiously angry, or I suspect that I'm furiously angry with her and refusing to acknowledge it (laughs) or something like that. But I absolutely feel that, The grief of her, the loss of her is like a hundred times fold the anger with anyone or anything about the situation. In a way, sometimes I feel I'm boxed into a corner and if, if there's anything... Uh, that would make me angry it's almost like okay I've got walls crushing me in on all sides and I have to fight my way out of this this box because I feel like this suicide has forced me into this box it wasn't something I a place I chose to be the event has forced me in there and it's completely out of my control what happens is out of my control and what happens in life for the rest of my life is out of control It's like uh, and and i think i probably am a bit of a control freak like a lot of us in this day and age um you know we feel we've been given the sense that we can control our lives that we make decisions and take actions and move towards things and you know, this is something that is just sort of sideswiped me off that control of or the the treadmill that I thought I was on has sort of wiped me off it. And, uh, you know, I'm, now I'm in a little corner and there's no way out other than to sort of fight my way out of here. And I really, I don't know if I'm ang- I Sometimes I'm angry, and but I think, honestly, it's just a... a a little cap of anger underneath a mountain of loss.
2: So we've both talked about anger, moments where we felt angry. Do you think it actually plays some role in this process?
0: Mm -hmm. I think... Anger can be looked at really differently um, in terms of the, you know, the feelings that you have about the person and, and the grief that it's tied up with. And then there's the anger that is the systemic anger at the systems and anger at the, the way things fell down around us. And for me, there are probably a couple of different types of anger. I followed very strongly through, I requested an inquest for my daughter, even though I knew that they weren't going to do one because I very seriously wanted to have her, what had happened on record. There were several touch points in the process that I knew were wrong and that I really wanted to um, have on the record because I had heard so many people Uh, stories by this time uh, where things had gone wrong and I just thought I am going to add my voice to the voice of everybody else who's trying to do something about this system and you know you never know when the hundredth monkey is when it's going to tip over into an actual change so uh, the anger I have towards systems are probably is a very different type of anger that i have towards the the grief of the loss you know i could have big tantrums on i not having my daughter i could literally throw myself on the floor right now and kick and scream about not having her with me and having to live the rest of my life without her and is that anger yes but it's a lot of other things as well but that is very distinct from the anger that i have towards you know, I guess the outside controls or things you know that shouldn't be happening the way they're happening. Uh, the, the broken system uh, that shouldn't be operating the way it's operating. And despite best intentions. And I guess then there's another anger. I've only really experienced that once, which is like a white hot anger, which is you know, if I had a gun in my pocket, I would have shot you right now because I would have absolutely out of control, you know, um, rage and, you know, where there's no, there's no moderating that. And, and potentially that is the anger that um, uh, my daughter had or that any suicide person might have is that unable to moderate that feeling, you know, unable to inhibit it or park it or, you know, it It controls you and I have had that instance probably once in my life. I don't think more than once in my life Um, but it's pure hot white anger not and I think it's about injustice more so than loss.
2: I love the way you've put that. I I absolutely love it because I can actually feel those three kind of like silos of anger because they are really quite different. But the systemic anger one, that's just, I absolutely know what you mean. Because you, it feels very faceless what you're engaging with. Even though there are doctors and there are professionals and there are people that are on that front line, it feels like you are working against a a very faceless system that's not hearing you. And a lot of my anger, I think, is tied up with, making sure as as you've also mentioned that the story is told in a way that's honest that honors his struggle and you're also extremely protective of their dignity and their legacy and you don't want things said about that person uh, by people within the system that you just think are a mischaracterization of how they were so it's like honesty but also dignity and those if you don't get fired up about that, I mean, I don't, you know, what are we here for as family members?
0: Yes, we have to protect them in death. They're not here to defend themselves anymore. I feel that very strongly, very protective of the, her reputation and, um, you know, her efforts, her efforts to yeah. be a human being.
2: And, and also being really honest about, uh, from my point of view, being really honest about how incredibly complex... Jason was and the fact that he did have demons really he, he struggled mm. with demons so you know your you point before about that white hot rage that, yes. that exists within us and we all have the potential for it that is absolutely I have never seen anything like it but that is what was going on with Jason in the last few weeks of his life I have never seen someone so angry mm. and have certainly never seen him He was always a very mild-mannered person, a a very, very introverted, uh, insular and very kind of self-contained. He wasn't a huge talker. Uh, I Verbose. The last few, you would get essays of Mm. hatred written Mm. just for you. Um, You know, he utterly destroyed our house, utterly destroyed it put yes. dog food in all the kids beds tore wow. up books mm. I, i've never seen there was garbage from one end of the house just someone spinning like a tornado driven by pure rage
0: yes yeah oh. and you can only have compassion for that
2: oh it it's heartbreaking mm. And impossible to live with. Impossible to live with and that, that the hardest thing is knowing that I turned away from it for what were good reasons mm. but knowing that someone was that alone because that's someone alone and in pain. But you have to make choices that are... I, I, I had to protect My two girls.
0: Mm. You did. You absolutely had to protect them. And, you know, it makes me think on the fly, the kind of help that we needed, that you and I both needed, was help to stay with that person and not allow that person to inflict the damage that they're inflicting. Assistance with protecting you from the damage and stopping that acting out of that insane rage But not the loss of that person And we don't get to have that choice And the way the system is That we don't get to have that choice
1: Content development and background research By Joni Janoway and Tanya Bretherton Sound, music and audio Pre and post production Provided by Paddy O'Rourke If this conversation has been difficult for you If you're experiencing suicidal thoughts or feelings Or if you're just having a really tough time right now There is help out there Lifeline is available 24 hours on their hotline at 131114. The suicide callback service is also available at 1300 659 467. If you're having a hard time and not even sure how to start the conversation, remember that a trusted GP or a family doctor is also a good place to start.